It's Wednesday night, and we're in a series on tongues. It's not actually Pentecostal tongues. That has nothing to do with the tongues of the Bible. And what's brought us to this point, we've been preaching on the life of Peter. And it's brought us to Acts, the first chapter and second chapter. And Acts, the second chapter, there's two chapters in the Bible that the Pentecostals, I'm not trying to give them a hard time personally. I'm saying the Pentecostal doctrine of tongues is a hellish doctrine. It has nothing to do with what the Bible is talking about, about tongues. You've got these two words for tongues. I put it up here, and I'm going to keep putting it up, so maybe you'll really get a hold of it. You have the word that is, these two words have been translated tongue. You have the word dialectos. And that is the word dialect in our language, dialect. And they had a different dialect of what they called the street common language it was what they spoke in every area of the world of the civilized world which was the Mediterranean world where this is where the different empires ruled from the the Assyrian empire ruled here the Babylonian empire ruled here and the Persian empire ruled in this area and each time a new empire would rise up, they would conquer the preceding empire. And uh, then finally, the Roman Empire, uh, the Grecian Empire, and then the Roman Empire. And then uh, they ruled in the Mediterranean world. And in every what they called a city-state, here in Cyrene, probably took in Berenice also, and in uh, upper... Uh, this is the GNC between what we call Greece and Turkey, what they call this Asia Minor, and this was uh, up here was Macedon, and this was the the Peloponnesus, but that was all Greece, and this is uh, the Aegean Sea right here. This is the Adriatic Sea between this area. This is the this is the Balkan states what you call used to be Yugoslavia now it's Croatia and Herzegovina and then you had Rome up here here's the Italian boot they always call that the boot of Italy in all of the history classes I took this is Sicily down here and the Jews had been scattered all over the world and they were scattered for one reason that's because they were they were they were while they were a nation under kings the first king of Israel was God then when they became a nation ruled by men the first king was Saul then you had David and Solomon and this was the united kingdom when it was just one kingdom and then Solomon allowed his wives to go after their uh, son and tree gods so God says I will split the nation and I'll, I will cause the southern kingdom to be Judah, which would have two tribes in it, Judah. A lot of people have been confused about Judah. They think, okay, keep saying, I thought Judah was the fourth son of Jacob, and it was uh, a tribe. Well, it is. Judah's a tribe, but when God 
named the southern kingdom he also called it judah so judah can be to be the southern kingdom or southern israel southern israel and uh, then there was the tribe of judah that's like having babylon the city on the euphrates river going down to the persian gulf down here persian gulf you got the city of Babylon, and then you have the Babylonian Empire, which was ruled by this city. And when I was saying a while ago, in every city-state, they had a different dialect of the Greek common street language. They called the common street language the koine. And that is the word common. And it, it's a form of koinonia, K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A. Or the word ending can be E-O. And it's always communion. That means communion. Or partaker. So koine means everyone is partaking of the common street language and in every city-state, the best way to describe a state is take Tennessee. Tennessee is ruled by Nashville. That's the capital city of Tennessee. And it rules to the borders. Well, if this were in the ancient world, if they had a city-state, it would have a different koine. And I don't know what the separation was. I know that Israel had a northern it had a northern dialect. It had a northern dialect, and we know that when Peter stood before the fire and he was accused by the woman and said, You are with this man because your speech betrayeth you. And they had a northern dialect of the Corne, and they had a southern dialect of the Corne. And probably most of the Jews knew both dialects, but if somebody came in from outside of these two areas they might understand one but not the other so every city state had a dialect of the common street language do y'all get that that's not even hard that's like falling off a log so every time you find the word tongue in the bible it will either be dialectos or the word glossa glossa and glossa means a foreign language foreign language and glossa we get our word glossary from that a glossary in a book some of these books will have a glossary I need to find one one day and just pull it out and show it to you but a glossary is a section usually in the back of the book it's got all these words listed on a page that's not understood by the common reader Maybe some guys more uh, uh, difficult to understand, so they put a glossary in there. So you look in the glossary and find out what it means. So that would be a definition. Glossary would be foreign language. Now, I've already given you these words out of Acts 2. The main key to Acts 2 is one verse. When it says there in verse 5, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews devout men out of every nation under heaven. That's the key verse there. 
And every one of these men, they had been scattered all over the world because when they were a nation, we've talked about when they were a nation, they kept going after idol gods, Baal, Grove, Shemosh, Molech, Isis, Osiris, all the gods of Egypt, all the gods of, of Moab, Moab, all the gods of Ammon, which is northern Jordan, all the gods of, of Tyre and Sidon, which is Bel and the Grove, the gods of Syria, which was Rimmon, R-I-M-M-O-N. And they were all basically sun and tree goddesses. Because Israel did that, God says, that's why I'm scattering you all over the world. But there's another key to this. That is that God gave Israel three feasts. And according to the law, all the males had to attend these feasts. Now, God gave Israel these laws in over there in Exodus 23, Deuteronomy 16, and a few other places, Deuteronomy 16, and he's telling Israel, you all the males have to come back to Israel. Now, this was before they came in and possessed the land under kings. This is back when they were in the wilderness. You have, all the males have to come back. Well, when they're scattered, God's laws are not invalidated all through these years these laws still applied and had to come back to Jerusalem had to come back to Jerusalem for Passover Pentecost and the Feast of Ingathering Feast of Tabernacles Huts and these three are all the same thing it's different ways of saying the same thing the Feast of Tabernacles the Feast of Huts uh and the Feast of Ingathering. They're the same thing. And then coupled with that was the Day of Atonement. That was in the 10th month, 7th day of the 10th month. The 10th month on their ecclesiastical calendar was was September, October. And that's what they call Tishri. T-I-S-H-R-I. Now I know you've already heard this, but I'm kind of resetting this thing to get back into the tongues thing. And if you want more on this, I'm going to look at the camera, get last week's and the week before, because we went into this thoroughly. Now, there were Jews from every nation speaking different glossa and different dialects from all over the world. They, these things had come about over southern Judah had been in captivity, six, 586 B.C., all the way to Acts 2, which add another 33 years to 586. You're going to be over 600 years. Before that, they were in these, uh, they were scattered all over the world. Northern Israel was scattered in 722 B.C. So they're throughout the entire world. And they're having to come back. These arrows point over here to Jerusalem. Every one of them are pointing that way. This comes out of the Compendia. That's a real excellent book. And it shows the Jews coming back from every nation under heaven. And they're all speaking these dialects and glosses. The whole point of this chapter, this is introducing, you've got the, you've got the Jews have been given the truth of God's word from Adam or the Semitic people. And Semitic comes from Shem or Shematic. That's the second born of Noah. 
and <coughs> from Adam until uh, Jesus only the Semitic people or what we call Jewish people I understand the word Jewish comes from the word Judah but by the time of Christ everyone was called a Jew that was from Israel so from Adam until Jesus only the Jewish people received the truth of God's word the Gentiles were blind Gentiles were blind they lived in the dark and they were what Peter called the spirits in prison that's supposed to be amazing to me the spirits in prison are supposed to be the most complicated verse in the Bible according to all the scholars I have never met anyone that understood or heard any doctor of theology teach on the spirits in prison that they had the slightest idea what it was about I was attending a Baptist church back 35 years ago and somewhere back in 3540 and the preacher got up and said we're going to talk about the spirits in prison this morning I don't know anything about it we'll see if we can wade into it what I need is somebody who can't swim to lead me into the Mississippi River and teach me to swim because that's what you're doing it was idiocy on his part even Pat Robertson said the dumbest thing I have ever heard about the spirits in prison Pat, brilliant Pat sat there at his uh, seat of authority and he'd take questions from the congregation some tall fancy guy looked like a banker or some financial analyst stood up and said brother Pat uh, did uh, Jesus go to the gates of hell and preach to the spirits in prison and you could see the sweat breaking out on his brow <sighs> oh God I hate that question you know and then he said uh uh uh, yes uh, uh, he went to the gates of hell when he died on the cross and preached to the people in hell and said everybody who wants to come out could come out in the Old Testament and some of them said no we like it here it's wonderful getting hot in South Hell I thought what an idiot a total Pat Robertson needs to go to hell just for that he probably will go to hell because he doesn't tell any truth <laughs> let me give you that it's in the book of First Peter look at that real quick this has to do with the tongues has to do with it First Peter and it's amazing to me that Peter's the one that reveals this because Peter was skeptical of uh, he was skeptical of preaching are fellowshipping with the Gentiles. When the Lord told him, I want you to go there in the 10th chapter of Acts, there's an Italian over here, I want you to go preach to him. His name is Cornelius. And I want you to go preach to him. And it's the first time the Gentiles had the gospel preached directly to them. <coughs> and Peter got over to where... Uh, where this Gentile group was, they were Italians, they were the Italian band, and Cornelius, before he, before he goes, God drops a sheet out of heaven. And there's every kind of clean and unclean beast there. An unclean beast is 
one who does not either one of two things. A clean beast parts the hoof, has a split hoof, and chews the cud. And that's the only thing they could eat. And God drops his sheet out of heaven and tells Peter, kill and eat. Whatever you want to. It doesn't matter what kind of beast you kill, even if it's not clean, no longer does that apply. And what he was doing, he was talking about the Gentiles. He was saying, kill and eat. Peter had never celebrated, he had never uh, gotten close to Gentiles, never fellowshiped with them in any way. And he said, not so, Lord, I've never anything common or unclean. God says, what I'm telling you, I'm telling you, to go to these Gentiles that you think are unclean, I've cleansed all the meats, and I've cleansed certain ones of the Gentiles, the predestinated elect of the Gentiles. Go to them. And it was Peter was the first one that went straight to the Gentiles and preached to them. And he didn't, he even struggled with that in Galatians, the second chapter. When Paul was coming to him, Paul was coming and he said, and James was coming with some more Jews with him coming to see Peter there at Galatia, when he's writing to Galatia. And Peter, he, the Bible says he, he became hypocritical and he backed away from the, from the Gentiles. A Gentile is everyone that's not a Jew. He backed away from the Gentiles because he was afraid James and these Jews that were coming would condemn him for eating with the Gentiles. And Paul the Bible says, corrected Peter to his face in front of everybody. Now, that certainly did keep him from being the infallible Pope at that point, doesn't it? He, Paul called him down. He said, why are you eating with Gentiles and teaching people to live as Jews? Don't do that, Peter. Well, Peter evidently got a hold of something when we get to this First Peter, the... the uh, First Peter, the... Eight, uh, the third chapter, 18th verse, First Peter. All right. And this is said to be the most difficult, if you ask most scholars, you can go here to to Mr. Uh, uh, Calvin's commentaries. John Calvin was at one time a Roman Catholic priest. He was one of the reformers that came out of the Catholic Church. And Calvin's considered to be one of the great reformers, believed in predestination. And when you go into his commentary, he'll tell you he doesn't even know what these spirits in prison means. I know what it means. I'm not saying I'm smarter than John Calvin. I want to tell you one thing I do. You can read the Reformers, but they don't define enough words. They just don't. It's not hard to figure out the spirits in prison. You define the word prison. Prison. Fluake. It means the division of day and night or light and dark. That is a very description in words of a horizon. The horizon is in the light and in the and in the darkness that's below the horizon where the sun will shine in. And when the Bible says 
whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, prohorizo. Prohorizo is the word predestinate. It means pro before. Horizo, the diacritical mark, is an H sound. It's a breathing sound. Horizo is our word horizon. So it means to predetermine for the light or for the horizon. And an amazing thing about that, the word forgiveness, aphesis, A-P-H-E-S-I-S. That is the word forgiveness. It means to pardon and release from prison. To release from darkness to light. Well, that's what, when Paul writes to the Gentile churches, he said, you were darkness, but now you light in the Lord, walk as children of light. The Gentiles did not have the truth. They were in darkness from Adam until Jesus. They were the spirits in prison. They were in darkness. They never had any light over here. They weren't allowed to come to God. Paul would say, uh, excuse me, Samuel would say, King Saul, you go and kill all those those Gentiles that are in Amalek. They have no chance. And the way you can figure that out, all of these, these men that were, I'm teaching on prophecy on Sunday night. All the prophets kept talking about the Gentiles coming to the light. And Isaiah talks about the Gentiles coming out of prison. I don't know why preachers can't find prison in the Bible. Look over here, probably one of my favorite verses over here in Isaiah 42. I'll get back over to 1 Peter and then we'll get back to tongues. We're not leaving any part of this behind. It's all a part of the same picture. Look here in Isaiah. I'll find it in a minute. All right. Yeah, 46th chapter. Isaiah 46. And all through Isaiah, he's mentioning this. Well, not 46, 42. Somebody said 46. 42. In verse 1, Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, and whom my soul delighteth, I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Then he says down here in verse 6, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles. Then verse 7, to open the blind eyes of the Gentiles, to bring the prisoners, the Gentiles in darkness, from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. Same thing Paul said in Acts, the 26th chapter. And I'll get back to the Acts 26. I can't, I have all this going through my head. And I wish I could give it to you all at once. But sometimes I want to go over here and go over here so you can somehow see it blend together. Over here in the 26th chapter of Acts. And this is why I call Paul... The New Testament Isaiah, because Isaiah says to his entire book, the Gentiles are coming to the light. I wonder how he knew that. I reckon God revealed it to him because 
when Isaiah was prophesying, he was preaching against northern Israel for bringing Baal and the grove in, how God was going to destroy them and call his people by another name, Gentile church. So look here in Acts 26. And Paul is relating his episode with the Lord on the road to to Damascus when God struck him down on the road. And he's revealing this to Agrippa, Herod Agrippa. This is at the end of Paul's life. And you see the red letters there in verse 14, 15, 16. That's Jesus talking to Paul on the road to Damascus when he struck him down in that ninth chapter of Acts. And the Lord says, verse 14, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. That was the ox goads where the donkeys would kick against it. It would all do is hurt themselves. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of the things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I will appear to thee. I'm delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles. I'm delivering you from them unto whom now I send thee. I'm sending you to them, but I'm delivering you out of their hands. And I'm doing this to open their eyes of the Gentiles and to turn them from darkness to light. Darkness to light. To bring them out of prison. That's what I'm doing. Bring them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness, pardon, and releasing from prison from darkness to light. That I can pardon them and bring them out of prison. And that they may receive forgiveness of sin. Remember forgiveness, self-essence means to pardon and release from prison or release from darkness. You can't understand this without defining a whole lot of words and look at a lot of light and darkness verses. Paul told the Ephesians, you were darkness, you Gentile Ephesus church, you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord, walk as children of light. He says that to Colossia, a Gentile church. He says, now the kingdom of light is revealed in you, and that's the church. Then he says, and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. So Gentiles, you have the light. Now, let's go back over there to 1 Peter. <coughs> it wouldn't be so hard to understand the spirits in prison. I've never heard a preacher. I had any idea what this is about. Never even read. And how do you know it, Jim Brown? I just define all the words, every word, I, every word in sight. I don't believe I know what they mean when I started studying when I was young. And when I run across words I haven't defined, I define words all the time. I never quit. If you see me up here pulling the dictionary out and you're talking, I may be defining something you're saying. <laughs> I won't say I won't jump on you. I'll just let you hear it in a message or something. I'm always defining. Y'all see me pick up a concordance up here and open it? And I may be looking at the same word I've looked at 500 times just to remind myself or to make myself say, huh, is this uh, exactly what it's saying? And I look up all the words that it says that it's about. Now, there's nothing like looking up words and definitions. When you think you know, you usually don't. 
I've learned that I know very little about the Bible compared to what there is to learn. Very little. And people say, well, you don't sound like you know little. Well, to me, it's a little. To study the Word of God for a thousand years, you still wouldn't understand all of it. Now, look here in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3 and verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. The just, that's him, D-I-K-A-I-O-O, D-K-I-O. That's the word justified, comes from D-K, which would be just, it means right, what's right. So he's the just. He suffered the just for the unjust, and the unjust is us. A-D-I-K-E. What's not right, we didn't... The Alpha Primitive negates the word right. It's what's not right. He died for us that he might bring us to God. And the next sentence is one of the most important sentences in this whole thing. He says, The just for the unjust being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Let me put this on the board so I can really drive this into the ground. There's one word that would be equivalent to put to death in the flesh and quicken by the Spirit. Death and quicken. What word would we be talking about when we're talking about death and quickened? Resurrection. Resurrection, that's it. Put to death. Does this have to do with tongues? Exactly. (coughs) Put to death and quickened. And it is by the Spirit. By the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is truth. Now, quickened, Z-O-O-P-O-I-E-O. It means to make alive. Make zoo. Zoo, you go to a zoo, you see living animals. Put to death and quickened, you can form that into one word, resurrection. Resurrection is the word anastasis. Resurrection means to come to life, come to life, quicken, after dying. So instead of saying put to death and quickened, you can say resurrection. And let me read that to you that way. That he might bring us to God by the resurrection. You can actually put resurrection for the entire end of that sentence. Bring us to life by the resurrection. By coming to life, 
after dying. That word resurrection is feminine gender, feminine gender, and so it can't be the resurrection of Jesus. All but one time when the word resurrection is used, it's always anastasis, and it's always feminine gender. The resurrection is not one time. What does that have to do with tongues? That's what the tongues were for, was to preach the resurrection to the Gentiles. That's what they were for. You had all these dialects and gloss all over the world, and they didn't they didn't understand what these Jews were saying over here, much less what the new Christian church was saying over here. So how is this message going to get back to all these people in the world speaking dozens and dozens of dialects of the Koine? How's it going to get back there? How's the message of the New Testament get to the Gentile world? When they're at Pentecost, all these Jews are there, and every one of them are saying, how here we, every man, in his own, in his, I'll get it in a minute, in his own, tongue dialectos in his own dialect where in we were born every man there every believer there there were 3,000 believers at Pentecost there were probably the the the, the uh, compendium says probably twelve million Jews at that Acts two Pentecost. Three thousand wasn't very many. That's a that's a small that's a few that believed, and they were coming from all over the world. But after these feasts at at Pentecost were were through. They're all going to go back home to their town where they were born and they heard Peter preach. That's the miracle. They all heard Peter preach the the gospel or the resurrection. We'll get to that at the end of this chapter. They heard Peter preached in their own dialect where they were born and they were all born in a Gentile world and they'd been there 600 years some of them 700 and they'd been there all that time so when they're going back home they're going to be the evangelist preaching this in the dialect where they were born is that easy to understand that's not even hard is it that's what this tongue thing about it's not about that jibber jabber going on in the Pentecostal church. And I don't care if you are offended, if you're out there and I'm pointing at the camera. If you're involved in that, you're involved in one of the worst, most apostate things that's ever come along in the history of the church. It's not true. This is historically accurate that I'm giving you. It's not jibber jabber. It's. So when they said, How do we hear? 
These are Jews from every nation under heaven, and after the feast, they're going back home and preach this gospel as evangelists to the Gentiles when they go home. There's going to be a certain amount of those Gentiles that's going to be God's elect. They're going to hear and be converted. I don't understand why people don't understand some of this. Now, let's go back to 1 Peter. What does this resurrection have to do with tongues? We'll look at that in a minute. Then he says, Christ suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God by the resurrection. You could just substitute being put to death in the flesh, quickened by the Spirit. You can substitute the word resurrection there because that's the same meaning. And then he says, by which... Let me just put it this way. Resurrection is by which by which he went and preached to the spirits in prison. The spirits in prison are the Gentiles. They were in the prison house. And they were brought out of prison. They were darkness, but now they're light in the Lord. Keep remembering, Fulak has the word prison, the division of light and darkness, day and night. Every one of the, every one of the um, churches that Paul wrote to, every one of them was a Gentile church. Gentiles is all that's not Jews. Rome, Galatia, Ephesians. Colossians, Philippi, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, those were all to Gentile people or non Jews, but we're spiritual Jews now. So he says the method that God preached to the Gentiles was he used the tongues to do that, used the gloss and the dialectos. Then he says, by which he went and preached to the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved. It doesn't say by water. It says dia. Through water. The water was not the baptism. The water was the judgment of God. The baptism was the pitch of the ark. <coughs> In Genesis 6.14, the Lord says, Noah build an ark and pitch the ark within and out with pitch. First word pitch is a verb. Second word pitch is a noun. The first word pitch means to cover the second word pitch means to it's the word first word is kafar second word pitch is kofer first word means to cover second word means to stain and to die that's the very meaning of the word baptize Baptized comes from two words, baptizo, 
which means to cover, and baptil meaning sustain with a dye. True baptism is not water. It means it is a covering with a stain or a dye, and a blood baptism was a death. So baptism has to do with dying and coming to life. How does the tongues fit in there? It exactly fits in. So, let me read that last verse there. Not not the last one, but the next to the last one. The like figure. The word figure is the word anti-tupon. A-N-T-I-T-U-P-O-N. Anti-tupon. The word tupon comes from our word type. The anti-type. It means anti means to be instead of. It's a type instead of. And by the like figure, we're into even. It means a corresponding. Anti-type means a corresponding type. The like figure, we're into even. Baptism doth also now save us. The way it saved the people in the ark. It carries us through the judgment by the blood of Christ. He washes from our sins in his own blood. And it, our robes are made white in the blood of Christ. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul cleansing blood of the Lamb? People don't even know what that means. It's talking about baptism is death to self. And so we resurrect daily in Christ because we die daily. So he's talking about here he says putting not the putting away of the filth of the flesh it's not washing in water but the answer of a good conscience towards God and I have got much to say on that by the resurrection of Jesus Christ a good conscience gives us it's by the resurrection of Christ now what does this have to do with tongues everything Look over here at 1 Corinthians 14. The spirits in prison have to do with the Gentiles coming to the light. Well, that's what the whole idea of Pentecost and all these tongues taking back after these... I never even knew anybody knew about the three feasts that the Jews had to come back to. And this scattering was called the Diaspora. D-I-A... S-P-O-R-A. Diaspora, that's an official title for the Jews being scattered all over the world. When, in May 14, 1948, when, when Israel was declared a nation for the first time in 2,600 years, you could read certain areas of uh, political statements where the diaspora was coming back from all over the world to Israel. They were making petition to come home. They wanted to come back to Israel and live there, and yet they haven't lived there in 2,600 years. You had communities in Russia. <coughs> when the Assyrians, when the Assyrians carried northern Israel off into the Assyrians were right here on the Caucasus Mountains, right here, goes between the Caspian Sea and the Black Sea. When the Syrians, their headquarters was on the Tigris River here in Iraq, 
they came in there and carried Israel up into here. That's why many Jews ended up in Russia. There was a great influx of Jews that came back from Russia after um, after May 14, 1948. And they even put a limit on how many Jews could come in here and they wanted to come from all over the world. Well, in fact, there was a town up here close to the Caspian Sea. They found up here a town that was called Jericho. Well, the real Jericho was down here just northeast of Jerusalem. But you can tell that they had settled up there and they had named one of their towns Jericho. You could probably find other towns that had Jewish names. So when May 14, 1948 came and they declared Israel a nation for the first time, they started coming back a great influx to move down here to Israel. And they even put a limit on how many Jews could come into Israel because it wouldn't support all of them. Now, let me go back here. I'll need to put that back over there where I was, I guess. There. So you can see them coming back. Now, what does that have to do with tongues? Tongues, the diaspora, the glossa, the dialects, even the 70 weeks of Daniel is in this. Because when they were scattered, God gave them 70 times seven to repent because they had 490 years that was one of their infractions against the law of God they had 70 sets of sabbatical years they never kept and in Leviticus the 25th chapter when God says every seven years you will leave the land lie fallow you won't plant anything you'll reap anything it'll be for the poor the needy for the animals and you could go out and eat it yourself, but you cannot harvest it. Leave the land alone every seven years. Well, that worked in, and I'm not going to go through the 70 weeks of Daniel tonight, but that worked in while they were scattered. The 70 weeks of Daniel was in effect. 70 weeks is in effect. At the scattering, and they're supposed to be coming back every year. Acts 2 is not the first year that were Jews or every nation under heaven. They had been coming back for hundreds of years. And they couldn't even understand one another. They couldn't want to understand one another because they were all speaking a different dialect from all over the world. And that's what they heard with their ears there at Pentecost. Does everybody understand that? That's not even hard to understand, is it? You know, I'm just painting you. It's like one of those color... Uh, those color charts of the little kids in a coloring book we're going to color this yellow here and we're going to make this red I'm trying to spell this out that simple that's what it is and the Pentecostals don't know nothing about it and the Baptists don't know anything about it the Baptists say we don't believe in tongues and why? well I don't know but we just don't believe in it it's because they don't know what this was about I hate Pentecostalism I didn't say I hate the Pentecostal people because we've got people here that were Pentecostals. I hate the the doctrine because it's an out-and-out lie. Just an out-and-out lie. If you made up a story and say, well, George Washington, instead of writing the Declaration of Independence, he let the Holy Spirit come upon him. He, or Thomas Jefferson, instead of writing the Declaration of Independence, he let the Holy Spirit come on him and just wrote in these words. No, you can't just make up something because you like the emotionalism of it. Now, how 
these spirits in prison being preached to by the resurrection, the spirits in prison, remember, is the Gentiles. They're going to be preached to by the resurrection, and it has to be in tongues. It has to be a gift of all these Jews coming back, going back home to preach to a Gentile world. This is the Lord pouring out of his spirit on all flesh. And the Holy Spirit's truth, John 14, 15, 16, John 15, 26, 16, 13, 1 John 5 and 6. The Spirit is the truth. And during the time they were spirits in prison, the Gentiles didn't have any truth. God would make an exception once in a while. Ruth the Moabite, she ended up in the family of Jesus in the first chapter in the chronology of Jesus and the first chapter of Matthew. Or Uriah the Hittite that loved David. Or Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, said, he said that God doeth what he will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What doest thou? Nebuchadnezzar will be in heaven, but just a certain few Gentiles. Overall, the word didn't get to the Gentile till Acts 2. And that had to be in dialects or in glossa. And when the resurrection is preached, it had to be in the glossa or the dialect. That's what it was for. Look over here. Look over here in in uh, just went blank all of a sudden. Fourteenth chapter of First Corinthians. Fourteenth chapter. What's happening in the fourteenth chapter of First Corinthians? There's two things that the uh, two chapters where tongues is prominent 1 Corinthians 14 and Acts 2 these are two different chapters with two different meanings in 1 Corinthians 14 you only have the word glossa foreign language Over in Acts 2, you have the word dialectos and the word glossa. The whole idea of the word dialectos is so they could all hear and their dialect of the corne. The entire world was speaking was speaking Greek, but every state had a different dialect. They would differ as much as Spanish and Italian in our day and time. Just because you could understand the Greek dialect here in Cyrene didn't mean you could go up here to Philippi and understand it up there. They differed. I don't know why people hate this so much, because this is the truth. I've spent a lifetime studying this. I didn't start studying this two or three or four or five or ten years ago, or 20 years ago, or 30 years ago. As a gospel singer, I went into a lot of Pentecostal churches across America, and I thought, this is the biggest bunch of foolishness I've ever seen in my life. And it is. It's foolishness. It has nothing to do with the Bible. And if you're out there and you don't like this, you're going to have a problem with God at the judgment if you don't learn to believe God. Instead of believing some emotional movement, well, we've got Pentecostal churches all over America. I know it. You've got false doctrine all over America. And those of you out there that know me, old gospel singers, 
You need to be ashamed of yourself and follow the truth and not follow this foolishness. <coughs> I didn't start in this... I, I, like the old singles, I wasn't born yesterday or the day before. So, Acts 2 has... In Acts 2 has dialect and glossa. They spoke with other tongues, heteroglossa, H-E-T-E-R-O-G-L-O-S-S-A, other foreign languages as the Spirit gave them utterance, apophagomai, A-P-O-P-H-T-H-E-G-G-O-M-A-I. And people think utterance means to speak with guttural sounds. It does not. It means to speak clearly as to be easily understood. In fact, it's the same word as verse 14 of chapter 2 of Hebrews, where Peter lifted up his voice and said, he didn't say, Shandalamandai, Kandai, Shandai. It's not what he said. He said, you men of Judea, listen to me. Then, where was I going? Okay. Chapter 14 is about Corinth. Corinth is the center of world trade, world travel. That every, when they come over here from the Far East, or they come from Spain, everybody would go through Corinth. Salesmen, heathens, sun and fire worshippers. They had all kinds of fire worship there. And when Lydia was a seller of purple. Purple was a very expensive cloth. Where they got their dye for purple, they got it off of the coast of Tyre and Sidon. For some reason, the ocean out there bred these mollusks. M-O-L-L-U-S-K-S, M-O-L-L-U-S-K-S. A mollusk is a little shell creature. And for some reason, God put those mollusks out off the coast of Tyre. And they would harvest them just like you would harvest clams or go and you'd go clamming and harvest clams. They would harvest these mollusks and they had a little drop of purple in them. One little teeny drop in a gland. If you were caught with a purple robe, first thing they would do, if you were a poor person, they would take you into custody and put you in jail till they could find out who that robe belonged to. They'd know it wasn't yours. Very expensive to wear a purple robe. That's why when you find the list of the goodies of the first century in the 18th chapter of Revelation, look at that real quick. And Lydia, when she met Paul in Acts, the 16th chapter, she was a seller of purple. And when she converted, that meant she gave up a very lucrative business. She talked to kings and sold them purple. And Lydia gave it all up to follow Christ. Look here in Revelation. Revelation. And you see Babylon falling. 
it says in the first part of the of the chapter it says Babylon is fallen is fallen it says it twice because it says the Old Testament Babylon is fallen and I go through that but not in detail right now and it says the New Testament Babylon is fallen Babylon is the let us make us a name or self system and then it'll tell you gosh there's so much to say about this he says come out of Babylon my people in verse 4 that you be not partake of her sins when he's saying that come out of self come out of let us make us a name let me make up my own doctrine then he goes on down here and says Babylon says how much there in verse 7 how much she hath glorified herself and living deliciously the word deliciously is the word strainos living in Babylon is a strainos it's our word strain when you live in self let us make us a name you're living in strain so he says uh, I sit a queen and no widow and shall not see any sorrow reminds me of the 47th chapter of of Isaiah which is one of my favorite verses on what Babylon actually is and actually says there's not a verse in the Bible that I like better on Babylon than the 47th chapter of Isaiah look at that real quick I'm just going to read a couple of verses Babylon is a self is a system of self Isaiah 47 I love this verse because this is what boy if you can get used to this I need to put this on a t-shirt verse 8 47 verse 8 therefore now hear now therefore hear now this that thou art given to pleasures thou dwellest carelessly that says in thine heart I am that's what God says I am Jesus said I am and none else beside me nobody matters but me that's what Babylon says I shall not sit a widow. That's exactly what it says over there in Revelation 18 chapter. I sit a queen and will not be, be no widow. Neither shall I know the loss of, of children. But these two things shall come to thee. This is, you see where it says, I am and none else beside thee. That's Babylon speaking. When it comes to verse 9, it's back to God speaking. But thou... But these two things shall come to thee in a moment, in one day, the loss of children, widowhood, they shall come upon thee in their perfection, for the multitude of thy sorceries, Babylon, for the great abundance of thine enchantments, and verse 10 really describes Babylon, for thou hast trusted in thy wickedness, in yourself, thou hast said, none seeth me, that's what David said to people, the wicked people would say all through the Psalms. No, God doesn't see me. He does not know. He does not care. I'm too small in this great scheme of things. God doesn't know I'm cheating and lying and stealing. Yes, he does. Thy wisdom and thy knowledge, it hath perverted thee. And here's the, this is the crux of the whole thing. This is what Babylon says. Thou hast said in thine heart, I am and none else beside me. Nobody matters but me. Whoo. 
That is a Babylonian system right there. I love that verse. I'm the only one that matters. Have you ever been like that in your life? Boy, I have. Man. And then, let's go back over here to Revelation 18. I sit a queen. I shall not see sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death, mourning, and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. What does this have to do with tongues? That's everything to do with it. And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning. Remember God said Babylon is a proud mountain there in Isaiah 50 and 51st chapter. God says, I'm going to make her a burnt mountain and she's deceived all the earth with her fornication, which is self. I am and none else beside me. Standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city Babylon, the mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come, and the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. And then it makes a list of all the goodies of the first century. The merchandise of gold and silver, we still like that. Precious stones, we still like that. Of pearls, fine linen, and purple. That's in the lineup of the best things you could have in the first century. Lydia was a seller of purple. She gave that up. You had to be rich to wear purple or be a king. And if you got caught with it, they know you stole it from somewhere. It took a fortune to buy a purple robe because it had one little drop in those little mollusks. It took thousands, tens of thousands of drops, maybe a hundred thousand of those mollusks to die before one robe could be dyed purple. And it goes on down here, silk and scarlet and thionite wood. And this is what's going to be destroyed. If that was a modern day list, it would still say gold and silver precious stones and pearls fine linen and it would go into a list of town cars and Cadillacs and diamond rings and that's what it would say today and all that's going to be taken now let's go back over here to 1 Corinthians 14 what does the spirits in prison the Gentiles have to do gosh let me put it up here like this how are we going to tie tongues, Gentiles, spirits in prison, and the resurrection together? How are we going to tie tongues, spirits in prison, which of the Gentiles and resurrection together. It's pretty simple. And the way the Gentiles are going to be preached to is being put to death in the flesh and quickened by the Spirit, which is the resurrection. They're going to be preached to, but they're going to have to be preached to in Glossa, and dialectos and the Bible says it right here 
Now, let's read here. And I can't read this whole chapter tonight because I'm going to run out of time. How much time do I have, Mike? Three. All right. Maybe I can. Uh, now, let me just set this thing up. Here is, here is Greece. All right, let me see here. See if I can draw this good. Uh, got these fingers here. All right, let me see. And it goes on up here. And it goes on up here. Here's Corinth, right there. It's right, this is a, what's called a polyponesis. I don't know exactly how to spell it. Poly, P-O-L-E-P-O-N-E-S-I-S-S-E-S. That's called the polyponesis, that little thing. It looks like a glove. You've got, you've got Athens here. And Athens was the center of education. That's where all their philosophers gathered together, and they had the Epicureans and the Stoics and the, and the followers of Plutarch and all of these historians gathering there to become educated. This was considered the educational center of the world at that time. You had all these people come from all over the world coming through Corinth, and Paul is saying, "Don't anybody come in here." You got salespeople, you got sellers of purple, you got sailors, you got everything you could imagine. Shopkeepers, and they're all coming through Corinth speaking different glossa, different foreign languages. Paul said, I don't want anybody coming in here speaking in foreign languages. You stand over here to the side and do it by twos or threes. And don't anybody come in. Don't some guy come here from Spain over there. It's not on this map, but it's over here. Espana. Don't you come in here and speaking in Spanish and trying to give your idea about the Bible without having an interpreter. I'm going to do it by twos and threes over here. This is about a cultural difference in languages at Corinth. It's not the same thing over here in Acts 2. But look what he says. Verse 18, I thank God I speak with Glossa more than you all. Why would he say that? Paul was the only one of the apostles that was extremely well-educated. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the greatest teachers of the day. He was educated. And Paul spoke in a lot of Glossa. He said, but don't you come in here and speak into something that nobody here understands. It's noise. You're making noise. And he says, yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding. Five words that I can understand and I can show you how to understand it. That by my voice... I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown glossa. This, this chapter is reprimanding people for coming into the church, speaking in an unknown glossa. You see, back up to 
verse 4. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue, and it says something that's completely against God. He that speaketh in an unknown, notice the word unknown is not there. It's in italics. Anything in italics is not in the original text. You can cross that out. He just says, He that speaketh in a gloss of foreign language that nobody here knows. He said, All you're doing is edifying. Let me write this up. Edifying yourself. You're never told to edify self in the Bible. Edify. Oiko, O-I-K-O-D-O-M-E-O. Oiko dome is the word edify. It means to, comes to the word dome, meaning to build the oikos, the house of God. You wear, the Bible says agape edifies. When we walk in agape, it says charity edifies in 1 Corinthians 8 and 1. Charity is the word agape, and that's what builds up the house of God. You're never told to build up yourself. Never. That is a reprimand against the people when it says, He that speaketh an unknown tongue lifts himself up. That's wrong. You're never to lift yourself up. It's like John, the seventh chapter, says, The man that. Look at John 7. I'm going to just give you one verse. John 7. Verse 18, he that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is is in him. If you edify yourself, you are not doing what the Bible says. You are lifting yourself up. What? What? Read 17. 17 of what? All right, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. No, I flipped away. I used to usually read the whole thing there. If any man do the will of God, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. You have to be doing the will of God. You can't just interpret things the way you want. I know enough about this. I've studied it for 40, 50 years. I hate Pentecostalism. I don't hate the Pentecostal people. I feel sorry for you if you're into that because it's just a lie. The faith healing is a lie. The tongues is a lie. I looked up last night again. I've looked it up before just to make sure I was on target. Why is it that that Oral Roberts died of pneumonia? He's the most famous faith healer in the world that's ever lived he died of pneumonia why do you have to do that when you call Jesse to and say Jesse let you have no men heal me it's just idiocy and why is it that Kenneth Hagin who's got Hagin's Institute he is the father of the so called faith movement name it and claim it had Hagin's Institute out there in Tulsa the two biggest lying teachers in the world Oral Roberts and Kenneth Hagin Kenneth Hagin started the Protestant Confession even before Oral Roberts got a hold of things, back in the 40s, back in the late 30s and 40s. And he died of heart attack. 
How could Kenneth Hagin die of a heart attack? And I heard some guy say on the radio the other day, well, they just lost their faith. You idiot. They got old and their bodies wore out and they died of a disease. Why is it they get to be 92, 93, and they can't be healed anymore, but, they're, but they'll say, oh, you can heal them when they're 30 in a, church, in a Pentecostal church? It's insane. You start dying the day you're born. Your body starts wearing out, and somebody, everybody's system wears out. Mine's wearing out. I'm 79. I'll be 80 next year. <coughs> and I, <coughs> how's that? Huh? Okay. <coughs> Bronchitis. Had it for years. Mary's got high blood pressure, and they'll write to us and say, and Paul Crouch, I read about him. They said he was sick for the last 10 years of his life with heart disease, with fluid on his heart. Why didn't they heal themselves? Why didn't they say, physician, heal thyself? You can't believe that. You don't even have to go to the Bible to realize I was in the hospital one time, and I said, Doc, my little brother called me on the phone and said, if you'll receive your healing, uh, you can just receive it. (laughs) He said, you'll be whole. I said, well, Dean, let me ask you something. Which word are you talking about, about whole? There's five, I believe there's five words for the Greek word whole in the New Testament. He said, well, I can't talk to you, and he hung up on me. And I asked the doctor, I said, Doc, when a man dies of old age, what does he die of? He says he does dies of a disease. I said, oh. He was, I preached to the doctor all the time. I said, in other words, when you get to be 85 or 90, you can't be healed anymore, right? You just lose your faith. He just laughed and walked away because he knew what I was saying. I don't know how these people think they're going to get by death. i got to get back to this because I've got to get somewhere getting close to finishing it. Now, Paul said, Yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown or in a gloss of foreign language. Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be children. But understanding be men. Grow up. In the law it is written, now here it is right here, it's going to tell you that resurrection and tongues go together. The resurrection is the mean by which the spirits in prison were preached to. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. And yet for all this they will not hear me, saith the Lord. With the men of other glossa. And this is preached in Isaiah the 28th chapter. This is quoted from Isaiah 28. And then it says, Wherefore, wherefore, tongues are for a sign, a simeon. A flag. A beacon. A pointer. When you have a sign down here on the road and it says it says up here on this sign it says fire 
stone. Does that mean that there's a fire down here and a stone is burning down here? Huh? Is that what it means? What does it mean? Mean they've got tires down here. That's what, this is a sign pointing to what they're selling. If you see a railroad track. Got this post right here. And you got this cross piece like this. You got these red lights on this. And they're going ding, 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 ding. And there's this thing across here. What does that mean? Does that mean there's a blimp flying over? No, no, no. It means there's a train coming down the track. Don't move on the track. That is a sign of what's coming. It's pointing to a train. That is a simeon. It's a porter. Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. From now on, Paul is saying, no more Jews don't get any of these signs over here. No more signs over here. They got signs in the Old Testament. What is the only sign they get? If tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe them that believe not, then what Peter was preaching at Pentecost was the sign, the only sign to the unbeliever. What is that sign according to according to Matthew sixteen? I'm trying to tie together the tongues, the glossa, the spirits in prison. Matthew sixteen. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Who's he talking about? Talking about the Pharisees. You see, they were the descendants of the Levites, particularly the rabbis of the Babylonian synagogue, and they're supposed to be having the law of the Levites and expounding it to the people. And they're seeking a sign from Jesus. And he says, Pharisees also with the Sadducees came, tempting, desired Jesus that he would give them a sign from heaven, a Simeon from heaven. And he answered and said unto them, When it is evening, you will say, It'll be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O oh, ye hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but can you not discern the signs of the times? A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Why are they adulterous? They went after other gods in the ancient world. They were the descendants of the Levites who allowed the people and set them up to go after gods of the ancient world. And they said that's what makes them adulterous. Spiritual adulterers are going after other gods. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. What was Jonas's sign? 
He was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights and then resurrection. That's the only sign. Well, wait a minute. What does 1 Corinthians 14 say? The only sign that that the resurrection will be the only sign. The only sign will be in tongues. Whenever the gloss is preached, it has to be preaching the resurrection. You understand what I'm just saying? Only sign is the sign of Jonah. Resurrection. And tongues is the only sign to unbelievers. If you can't believe the resurrection, but it won't be just one simple resurrection, it will be the resurrection in Christ and us daily as we die daily. If you can't see that in a person, you don't get the miracles anymore. Look here in look here in Luke the twelfth chapter Matthew the twelfth chapter. Matthew twelve. In verse thirty eight. Certain of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we we would see a sign from you. But he answered and said unto them, An evil adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. There shall be no sign given but the sign of the prophet Jonah. And as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with, a, with this generation, shall condemn it because they rejected the preaching of Jonah. And, be, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. So the sign that they wanted was all those miracles they got in the Old Testament. What were they? Deuteronomy 8. Look at Deuteronomy 8. The resurrection is their only sign because, and when it was preached in Acts 2, Peter preaches the resurrection, which is the death of Christ and his resurrection, and he wasn't allowed to stand in the grave until his body was consumed by rot. Now look here in where did I say we was going? Deuteronomy eight. See here's what they were looking for. If you're really God in the flesh, give us some signs. Here's the kind of signs they got. I may go back through this because I'm rushing through this right now and I don't want to rush. How much time do I have, Mike? All right. Try to get a few of these in. Here's one of the signs, Deuteronomy 8. And the scripture says in verse 2, Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee, to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna. That's one of the signs. Every morning there'd be manna. There'd be thousands of acres of manna on the ground. He'd say, you just take what you need for that day. I'll give you more the next day. 
If you take more than you need that day, I'll turn it into worms that night. In which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. When you're in the wilderness, your raiment did not wax old upon thee. Your clothes didn't wear out for 40 years. How would you like to have the same shoes for 40 years? And you're a woman who likes to buy a bunch of them. <laughs> Neither did thy foot swell for 40 years in 120, 30 degree heat. That's the signs they were wanting. He said, you don't get those no more. Look over here in Deuteronomy 29. Deuteronomy 29. You see, this is what the Pharisees wanted. He said, no more except the sign of the prophet Jonah. That's resurrection. And when the resurrection is being preached, it was preached in tongues or glossa to the Gentiles when they were going back across the world. Can you see that? This is not like a secret. If the people studied it, they'd throw that Pentecostal garbage away. I believe in Pentecostal, not Pentecostalism. Look here in 29. Here's what the Pharisees wanted. Same thing that Herod wanted when Jesus was taken before Herod. He says, do some magic for us. Pull a rabbit out of a hat. Do something that's great. Jesus looked at him. These miracles for the sake of the believer, that's all to strengthen their faith. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he looked at the apostles and said, I was glad that I was not there to the intent. You may believe. It was for their sake, not for the sake of Lazarus even. In the 29th chapter of Deuteronomy, he says, gosh, there's so much here. Verse 2, Moses called unto all Israel and said unto them, you have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt. This is Deuteronomy right before they crossed the river. Everybody's righteous in Israel by this time. He's killed off all the unbelievers. And unto his servants and unto all his land and the great temptation which mine eyes have seen, the signs and those great miracles, yet the Lord hath not given you an heart to perceive and eyes to... The Lord hath not given you and heart to perceive, and eyes to see, and ears to hear unto this day. And God has led you forty years in the wilderness. Your clothes are not waxen old upon you, and your shoe is not wore out. You've had the same sandals for forty years. Your feet didn't swell up and didn't blister, and they should have. These are the miracles that the Pharisees came and said, Give us a sign. He said, You don't get any more. Your rebellious generation. How are you going to tie this all in if you're going to some Pentecostal church and speaking in tongues? It's just foolishness. And other signs. Look over here at Exodus sixteen fifteen. How's this? Exodus sixteen. Do I have any time, Mike? Huh? Seven. Look here. Exodus sixteen, fifteen. They went out in the morning to look at the land. They just got into the wilderness. They crossed, crossed the Red Sea in the 14th chapter. And they're just settling down on the other side of the Red Sea. 
When the dew lay that was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing, as small as a hoarfrost on the ground. When the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, for they wist not what it was. Manna, mon, means what is it? That's That's what it means. What is it? God says, that's what we'll call it. What is it? Sometimes I'll go in the kitchen and I'll ask Mary, what you cooking? And she'll say, what is it? Or she'll say, manna. <laughs> and Moses said unto them, this is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. That was a miracle. They wanted something like that. Give us a miracle. Show us if you're God. He said, if you don't believe the resurrection, and that has to be spoken to the Gentiles in gloss and dialects across the world. Because that's what they heard in their own dialect when they were born. And I would like to go through other... Let me give you something else in Exodus 13. How's this for a sign? Exodus 13. Very end of the chapter... Exodus 13, verse 21. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud and to lead them the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. And he took not away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. And just like that picture over there, like right on here. This was a sign. This was a simeon, or they called it an oath. U-W-T-H in the Old Testament. This is what the Pharisees said they wanted. We want this fire. He said, you didn't believe in the Old Testament. You went off to Babylon. You organized the corrupt synagogue. And you come back and twist the word of God. You want me to give you a sign? I'm not giving you anything. The resurrection's it. And when when the tongues are spoken, it will be. The resurrection that's being preached, and when Peter preached the rest of this chapter, I can't even get to it. He's preaching the resurrection at Pentecost. He said, Christ is not left in his tomb or in his grave, and corruption is not going to overtake him. What's so amazing, Jesus stayed in the grave, and on the third day he resurrected. The Jews said the Spirit hovered around the grave for four days before it went off to be in its abode. Jesus said, before the four days are up, I'll resurrect and you'll have to know I'm God by your laws. Any more time, I'd read a couple more of these. They wanted flesh to eat in Numbers 11, chapter, verse 4. God says, I'll give you doves in the evening till it comes out your nostrils. You start ordering me around what kind of food you need. He said, we want meat. Well, so the sign they were asking for was one of these miracles. And over there in Numbers 9, 16, he gives you this cloud again, Numbers 9. These are the miracles that they wanted. They wanted a sign. Numbers 9, 16. 9, 16. So it was always the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. That was their sign. 
They had all these signs. Their clothes stayed okay. They didn't swell up. They weren't too hot in the desert. They had plenty of food, and God supplied it. He fought their battles, their enemies. And that's what the Pharisees were wanting. He said, you don't get any sign but Jonah's sign. That's it. Resurrection, and when it's given, it will be given to God's elect, and it will be given in Acts 2 to all these people from all over the world. And they'll be coming to the feast and taking it back, taking it back to the Gentile world. And that's the pouring out of God's Spirit on all flesh. I hope, hope you all get a hold of this. Notice how it's big, one big sweeping picture. What the Pentecostals are preaching is complete idiocy. And I don't care if you're watching out there. What I've told you is the truth here. I have associates in gospel music that get involved in it, raising their hands, shouting the kind of. The Bible says, God is not served with men's hands in the 17th chapter of Acts. Your physical hands can't serve God. When the Bible says lifting up holy hands, it means hands to go to the work of God, not raising your hands in the air. And it says without wrath and doubting. Lifting up holy hands without wrath, without or gay. Well, if you lift up holy hands without or gay, then it means that you can lift up hands with or gay. So you got, you're mad at the guy next to you. You say, praise God, you low down, I'm going to get you, you rascal, you. It's just the silliness they put in the Bible is crazy. I got a couple more of these signs. In Exodus, well, I gave you that. All these signs, they had all these miracles going on. And that's what the Pharisees wanted for Jesus. They were saying, prove to us who you are by a miracle. Same thing Herod was saying, pull a rabbit out of the hat. Uh, Perform some magic trick for us. Same thing Satan was saying when he said, turn this stone into bread. Jesus doesn't do any of those miracles except, and for us, there's no more miracles anymore for us. Our hope is the resurrection. I'm out of time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. I pray that you'll cause the people to understand this message. Fight our battles. Lord, when we are anxious, cause us to realize that this is all your will and cause us to accept these things. Cause us to be content, to push away self. Let us cheer elect family. Open up many doors for the ministry. We'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I hope that clears up a little more of the tongues. I'm still going to be on this next week till we kind of, we're still going to be on Peter and what he's doing.